Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 670 for the 1st of December, 2019. This week, there's a lot of new magic from Adobe. The just-released versions of Lightroom, Lightroom Classic, and Photoshop for 2020 were highlights at the Adobe Max program in Los Angeles, although several new applications made their first appearance. Today, we'll stick with just the photo applications, including the appearance of Photoshop on iPads. In short circuits, it is annoying when something goes wrong with Windows or a Microsoft application, and even worse when Microsoft support seems to be clueless. There are alternatives. The software updates described in this week's main section about Adobe's photo apps are good examples of what's called the Agile Development Method, so we'll look at what that means. And in spare parts, which you'll find only on the website, a feature update for Windows released in mid-November as version 1909 has a useful new function. Now you can add items to your calendar directly from the taskbar. PayPal says it will acquire Honey Science Corporation for about $4 billion. It's a service that claims to help consumers find the best prices online. And 20 years ago, I wrote about a system to ensure absolute computer security. The process still works, but I'll bet you won't want to use it. There's a lot of new magic from Adobe and its 22,000 employees. I've been trying to digest information from the 2019 edition of Adobe Max in Los Angeles that was held at the beginning of November. Several new applications made their first appearance, and hundreds of improvements have been added to the nearly 30 Creative Cloud apps. Today, we'll take a look at the photo applications, which are part of Creative Cloud, but are also available in Adobe's $10 a month photo application. I'm limiting this week's report to just the photographic applications because trying to include the entire Creative Cloud suite just isn't possible in the time available. After all, we're dedicated to covering all the news that fits. So let's get on with it. And I'm going to start with mobile. You might expect information about the mobile applications to follow what's on the desktop. Not this year. Photoshop is now available for iPad users a year after Adobe announced at Max 2018 that they were working on it. Don't expect every desktop feature to be in a version 1.0 release on the iPad. In fact, don't expect a lot. But do expect to be surprised by what Adobe developers have done to make Photoshop run on a tablet. So don't plan to use the mobile version of Photoshop for production work particularly if that work includes typefaces. That's because opening a file on the iPad can cause typeface substitution, even if the typeface being used is one that's included in Adobe Fonts. An image created on a desktop system will have a new option for saving locally and in the cloud. The cloud-based image has a different extension, PSDC, instead of just PSD. C, obviously, standing for cloud or curmudgeon, or something. Okay, probably cloud. Uh, Both will appear on the desktop-based instance of Photoshop. Be sure to check out the TechBinder Worldwide website to see the images that I'll describe in this account. 
The image I used for testing on the iPad had a photograph with a text overlay. When I opened the file on the iPad, everything looked right until I attempted to edit the text. The text switched to a generic-looking typeface, and I was unable to find a way to get the typeface used to create the image back. After exiting the edit on the iPad, which automatically saves changes to the cloud, I reopened it on the desktop. A warning told me there was a problem with the typeface and offered an option to update the typeface. Choosing No left the typeface from the iPad in place. Choosing Update left the typeface from the iPad in place. Apparently some additional development is needed there. The only way to restore the typeface on the desktop involved opening the file, selecting the text, remembering which typeface had been used, and then selecting it. The result was the same regardless of whether I used an Adobe typeface or a typeface from another source. The mobile version shines in compositing, though. Compositing involves combining two or more images. I started with a sample image from Adobe, removed the background, and added a photo taken in Photoshop with the iPad. So Photoshop for iPad 1.0 is an outstanding start but it is still a version 1.0 application. In general, for Adobe, version 1.0 tends to mean proof of concept. Adobe has shown that moving Photoshop capabilities to a mobile device is possible. The next several years will be spent refining and improving the application. And by this time next year, Adobe will be ready to introduce Illustrator for the iPad. So let's move on to Lightroom to see what's new there. Lightroom on the desktop can fill in blank areas that often occur when a panoramic view is created from multiple images. I'll tell you more about that in a moment because Lightroom Classic also has that ability. The Lightroom home screen on the desktop has a new section of guided tutorials. The tutorials help users become better photographers by learning more advanced skills right in the application. You'll also find examples that show how professional photographers edit their photos. These are called interactive edits and allow the user to download the photo used to practice step by step. Adobe's Terry White discussed the tutorials at Adobe Max. You might think all oh, tutorials is another video. No. If I tap on this tutorial by Randy and start the tutorial, the first thing it does is it downloads the image into my device so I can continue working. It then walks me through step by step the steps that Randy took to get this. And that little guide is showing me what sliders to move. If I move the slider and I go a different way, it's okay, I can experiment with what that slider does, but then I can go ahead and lock it in on the one I'm supposed to. Then I go to the next tab for lighting, I can see what exposure does and then still come back to where I'm supposed to in this tutorial. Now, that's step-by-step -step interactive tutorials, but wait, there's more. Let's scroll up to the discovery area, because in the discovery area, it's not so much about learning step-by-step, -step, it's about seeing cool images and techniques, tapping on one, and instead of you walking through step-by-step, -step, you can just scroll through the edits to see what they were, and if you like the look of this final image, you can go in and download that as a preset to apply to your images going forward. And Photoshop Elements users who want to experience the power of the professional applications finally have a way to migrate catalogs from the Elements applications. Now, note this works only with Photoshop Elements catalogs from the 2019 and 2020 versions. Next, the classic version of Lightroom. 
Raw images, even those from phone-based cameras, are huge, and many people you want to share an image with may not have a way to open a raw file. Lightroom has always had an export option, and users can create their own presets. You might have one preset that limits a file to 1,000 pixels on the long side for use in emails, maybe another one that exports images that are 2,048 pixels on the long side for Facebook, Professionals might have an option for exporting larger or even full-size JPEG or TIFF images. If you need to create images in several sizes, that export process can be cumbersome, though, as you have to keep going through the loop. The preset options still exist, but now the export dialog allows users to select multiple Lightroom and user presets to export multiple copies of each image. That can be a real time saver. And each new version of Lightroom Classic adds support for new cameras and lenses. Approximately two dozen new cameras are now supported. This also applies to Adobe Camera Raw. There's also a new Sensei feature that patches the edges of panoramic images. That's what I mentioned earlier in the Lightroom section. Even when a photographer places the camera on a tripod, sometimes the top and bottom edges will be uneven. The normal way to fix that involves cropping. But Sensei can fill in the blanks automatically. This works best, of course, when the area being replicated is relatively uniform. A sky that's blue or a sky with clouds, some water, grassy areas, things like that are ideal. And then there's Photoshop. It is uncommon for a feature to show up in Photoshop Elements before it appears in Photoshop, so I was surprised to see a single Select Subject button in the 2020 edition of Photoshop Elements I described that in the November 3rd program. You'll find a link to that program on the TechBiter Worldwide website. So it was really no surprise when this capability came to the 2020 version of Photoshop. It's a more complete and complex implementation. The user can now draw a rectangle or an irregular shape around an object and then tell Photoshop to select it. But you can also just have Sensei find the subject and select it. I selected four images to test with this process. You'll see them on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In each case, you'll see two images side by side. The one on the left has the original selection as created by Sensei. The one on the right is what Sensei selected with the background dropped out. You'll see a gray checkered background. That's what Photoshop uses to indicate transparent areas of an image. My first test image was a cupcake on a white cloth in front of a black background easy. I selected this image to test because I knew that Sensei would get it exactly right. Both the cupcake and a leaf on the cupcake were isolated properly, and Sensei even got a shadow in the lower left corner correct. It's important as you look at these images to understand that I have done no edge refinement. Each of the images could be improved by using the edge refine function. The intent here is to show the starting point that Sensei establishes without any assistance at all from the user. The next image was a piece of iced cake on an orange plate. I had expected Sensei to select the cake, the fork, and the plate. Instead, the selection was just the cake, a little bit of the fork, and a tiny bit of the plate. The user would have two options at that point with this photograph. Select just the cake and use the clone tool to remove the fork, or expand the selection to include the plate. Either of those modifications would take only a few moments to complete. 
The third image, a relatively low-resolution photo of a barbershop quartet against a red curtain background, looked like one that would be challenging. And it was. Sensei did a better job than I expected and identified far more of the subject than I thought it would, while being fooled by less of the background than I thought. So the barbershop quartet image is one that would require some work, but Sensei gives the user an outstanding starting point. And of course, I always try to select one image that I believe will fool the artificial intelligence. In this case, it was a photo of a cat on a bed. I had expected the artificial intelligence to be fooled by some of the transitions, but it got them exactly right. Check it out on the TechBiter Worldwide website, and you'll see that the photo of the cat, more than the others, would need some edge refinement. That's because of the cat's fur. But Adobe essentially nailed edge refinement several versions ago, so finishing the selection would be quick and easy. What else? Well, in the 2019 edition of Photoshop, the default operation for resizing some items was changed to maintain proportions. In earlier versions, maintaining proportions required holding down the Shift key. The new feature didn't apply to everything, though, so users still had to remember whether they needed to press the Shift key or not. And this time around, Adobe got it right. The Transform option retains proportions consistently. The development team didn't stop there, though. For two decades, it has been essential to hold down the Shift key to keep proportions, so the controls operation has been turned over to the user, who can now decide whether to use the Shift key to maintain proportion or to use the Shift key to turn maintaining proportion off. You'll also find improvements in the Properties panel and the Transform Warp control. Looking to the future, Adobe Chief Product Manager Scott Belsky noted the current problem with confidence in the legitimacy of photographs and video. Adobe's applications place the ability to manipulate photos and videos in anyone's hands. And not everyone tells the truth in words, images, or motion pictures. At the Max conference in November, Belsky said it's a problem that needs to be resolved. So one of the biggest and most heavily covered issues today is content authenticity and trust. How do we discern whether an image or video is real and how it has been edited? In short, can we trust what we see? And there is no perfect solution for this issue. I mean, an Adobe can't solve the problem alone. Addressing it will require action from a broad set of technology companies and content publishers, and of course, all of us. I mean, the viewers of this content have a responsibility as well. But today, we have an exciting announcement to share. In combination with Twitter and the New York Times, we're announcing the Content Authenticity Initiative. Together, we're developing an industry-wide standard to allow creators to put their mark on their work and have that attribution accompany that piece of content across different platforms, posts, and stories. So the bottom line here is five cats. Photographers will find a lot to like in the 2020 applications. Subscribers to the $10 per month photography plan get all of those features and more, and there's just not time or space to get into those. Those who subscribe to the full Creative Cloud program benefit from the other new applications too, such as Fresco. Improvements to existing applications, such as Audition and the Video Suite, and new features and enhancements to Acrobat. Plan on spending some time to investigate what's new. 
you'll need it. You'll find additional details on the Adobe website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, as frustrating as it is when something goes wrong with Windows or a Microsoft application, the frustration is often made worse by clueless responses from Microsoft support. Here's an example. My preferred application for opening JPEG files that are in email messages or when I click them in a Windows Explorer listing is IrfanView. It's a small application that opens quickly. When I need to edit a JPEG image, I already have the application I want to use open, but I don't want to wait for a large application to open when I simply want to view an image. I had set the default application in Windows to IrfanView, but then the operating system started opening a dialog box to ask which application I wanted to use every time I double-clicked a JPEG file. There's an option box, always use this app to open JPEG files, and I always clicked it. But the inappropriate response continued to be the norm. So, off to answers.microsoft.com to see if I could find a solution. Someone had actually asked that question, and 155 people had clicked, I have the same question. The Microsoft agent moderator characterized the problem as odd. Well... Thanks for stating the obvious, fella. The agent then suggested booting into safe mode to see if the problem persisted, then recommended creating a new user account to see if the problem existed there. Eventually, the agent suggested going to default programs in settings, but the user had already done that. In the meantime, the user had created a new account and found that opening JPEG images in that account worked as expected. The agent then recommended using that secondary account instead. Users who have a lot of applications will lose most of their settings if they abandon their account and start using another. This is not an attractive solution for most people. Then, a Windows user, not a support technician, a Windows user, suggested, go to Settings, Apps, Apps and Features. Click on Photos and select Advanced. Scroll down, click on Reset. This, he said, is a solution found in Windows 10 forums. After resetting, the user can then re-establish the preferred application as the default. No need for safe mode, no need to create a new account, no need to spend hours moving files and reconfiguring programs, just a few clicks and done. So keep other resources in mind when you have a problem. Microsoft support sometimes provides the exact correct answer. But usually after taking the user through several unnecessary steps. Other good solutions include Windows 10 Forums, Windows Report, Super User 10 Forums, 
and Bleeping Computer, and others. I have links to all of those on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. Just because Microsoft made the operating system doesn't mean that Microsoft provides the best support for the operating system. But wait, having grumbled about Microsoft, it's important to also say that they sometimes do a marvelous job. Here's an example. In mid-November, Microsoft Office 365 applications displayed a message telling me there was a problem. The problem was that the account was due for renewal. I took care of that, but later the same day the message appeared again. American Express had confirmed the payment, so I thought everything would be fine the next day. Well, it wasn't. Microsoft's automated help system was useless, and I was then offered an option to chat with a representative. The first person I spoke with in the billing department had me try some basic steps, including logging out of the application and then logging back in. That didn't fix the problem, so the technician asked me to wait while she transferred the connection to a support technician. The support technician collected all the pertinent details quickly and then asked if she could connect to the computer using Log Me In. Well, of course she could. She examined some various Office 365 settings and some Windows settings, then launched a command prompt as administrator, ran several complex commands, and fixed the problem. So there you have two examples, one bad, one excellent. Some Adobe users are annoyed by the constant release of new features, some of which seem not to be quite ready. Take Photoshop for iPad, for example. It is not a fully baked implementation, but pushing an early release out has advantages both for users and for the developers. Users can see what's coming and provide feedback to Adobe so the developers aren't working in a vacuum. Two primary approaches exist for software development. They're nicknamed Waterfall and Agile. Evidence suggests that Adobe has fully developed the Agile methodology. The traditional, or Waterfall, approach usually involves a comprehensive set of project specifications, a development and testing phase, and a product release. One big problem with this approach is that if the development team has misunderstood what the users want, the release is followed by a catastrophic failure. Agile is a term that describes several processes that all aim to release deliverables quickly. Deliverables are program capabilities that can be used even if the entire project is incomplete. One advantage of Agile is that failures occur early in the process. If users condemn a new approach as unusable, the development team can begin work immediately to address the problem. New features can even be removed if they prove to be unpopular, something that can be accomplished in a waterfall development system only by scrapping the entire project and returning to the beginning. So the primary difference is that waterfall's goal is to get everything right the first time. And Agile's goal is to release updates quickly so they can be modified and improved. Software, particularly when applications need to work on multiple platforms, is sufficiently complex that the likelihood of any development teams getting everything right the first time approaches zero. Spare parts may not be Agile, but you will find this week's stories where they always are on the website and only on the website. A feature update for Windows that was released in mid-November as version 1909 has a useful new function. Now you can add items to your calendar directly from the taskbar. 
PayPal says it will acquire Honey Science Corporation for about $4 billion. It's a service that claims to help consumers find the best prices online. And 20 years ago, I wrote about a system to ensure absolute computer security. The process still works, but I'll bet you won't want to use it. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.